0: Hello and good morning, New Spring family. Anderson Campus, can you help welcome all the other campuses all across the state? So good to see everybody. Uh, we're so grateful that you're here today. Uh, listen, a couple of things. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bible. We're going to open them up to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to pick it up in verse 13 in just a moment. You can also open up your app. Our New Spring app has not just the text, but it actually has the notes preloaded for you so you can keep up with them and email them later to yourself or to a friend. And uh, we're gonna try to help you with that as well. So while you're doing that, I want to just welcome you. Everybody doing okay today? Yeah. Yep, good. You look great. Uh, it's man, can you believe we're we're already about to say goodbye to August and hello to September? It's coming. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a great, great month of September coming up and I just wanna do a couple of things. You know, last week in just this building that I'm in, this is true across the state, we had, just this building I was in, we had 500 more people from week to week in this building. And so across the state, we had thousands of folks that have been joining and jumping in, college students, we wanna welcome you. So if you're new to New Spring, New Spring folks, can we put our hands together and welcome the folks that are here checking things out? And uh, while you're getting to know us, I wanna give you a chance uh, for us to get to know you, okay? Uh, so if you wanna to get to know us, all you need to do is jump in our Connect class. That's the way you get to know us. It's a class designed to let you know who we are, what we believe, and how you can be involved. So if that's your next step, but a couple of things that I just wanna let you know. One, if you're a college student in the room today on any of our campus, you just wave your hands? Give me the what's up, good wave. All right, a lot of y'all at the early service, well done. Well done with well, college students. You need to know that New Spring Church started on college. And we really started 22 years ago with that college energy. We've always been a place for college students to find their traction here. So it doesn't matter if you're uh, in the upstate or you're out on the coast. We love college students and we want to help you get involved. And one of the things that I really found valuable and I relocated here after I finished college and began my undergrad, I transferred into this uh, community, didn't know the church at all. But I found my home here at New Spring Church because of the, really, again, the way that New Spring people invited college folks to not just come and sit in the service, but to actually come and be a part of building church. And so I just want to say to you, college students, we don't want to do church for you. We want to do church with you. And that right, New Spring family? We don't want to do church for you. We want to do church with you. And uh, I just want to encourage you over the next several years, wherever you are in school, don't just settle for going to church come and be a part of the church. And so whether that's right here or whether that's in another community, be a part of the church. Don't settle for Starbucks Christianity. Now, I love Starbucks. All right, I'm a caffeine guy. But uh, Starbucks Christianity is when you just kind of opt in on the weekends and you know the place to go for your, you know, your double pump of sugar and sweet. And the next week, you know, you're going to go to a different church for your a strong, hot, and black extra shot of espresso. Don't settle for Starbucks Christianity, all right? That's, that's not what God has for you, and that's not what you are going to grow in. You're going to grow when you step in and you begin to be a part of a church. So get planted, get rooted. We want you to know you're welcome to join what we're doing here, and the way you do that is you jump in to connect. So I just want to make sure I said hello to college students like that. Now, another thing you need to know about us, and folks around New Spring will tell you, is we do ministry in team. And so we believe that God is a team. It's called the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the very best churches in the world are not churches that are built around one personality or one big gift. Right? Amen? The very best churches in the world historically are churches that leverage the gifts of the body of Christ, doing the ministry of the work of Christ, right here in the facility and outside of the facility, shining a light in the community. And so we want you to know that you've got, you've got a gift. And you've got to get involved with that gift. And we're going to do things in team around here. That's why every single week when you come to New Spring, you're not just going to hear from one person. You're going to hear from a team of teachers. When you lean into the leadership in New Spring, you're not just going to be leaning into the leadership gift of one individual. You're going to lean into the leadership gift of the body of Christ. And so if you are out there and you're kind of like, man, that interests me. I'm excited about that. You need to jump in and get involved, and I've already mentioned it. The way to do that is to jump in to connect. So I just wanted to let you know, since we had so many new college folks coming and folks that are moving to the area, that's who we are. We do ministry in team, and we are all about using not just church as a place to, you know, really just let folks that have kind of grown up in the church be involved, but we want to do ministry with you, not just for you. If that's good, say amen. Amen. Y'all ready for the word? All right, let's jump into Matthew chapter five. We'll pick it up in verse 13 for week three of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus continues the sermon by saying this to the folks listening. He says, you, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You, you are the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. You can't be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But instead, they put it up on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. Watch this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Uh, If you're taking notes, I want you to go ahead and uh, pull out your notebooks and get your journal ready. I want you to write a couple of things down. The text today we just read, this this is known as the salt and light text. And if you're wanting to kind of categorically put it here, this is where Jesus is giving the job description to the people of his kingdom that he is inviting people into. This is the job description of folks that are going to say yes to him being the king and being a part of his kingdom and and being turned into the kind of people that he's going to use. That's what this is. It's the job description. Now, let me back up just a smidge because the Sermon on the Mount has been classically a place that we know so many passages of Scripture. You don't have to grow up in church to know these things that are in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Like, show of hands, how many of you have heard the phrase, the golden rule? Show of hands, golden rule. Okay, Sermon on the Mount. How many of you have heard the phrase, turn the other cheek before? Turn the other cheek. Yeah, that's in the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you have heard the phrase, only God can judge me? Only God can judge me. Uh, No, I tricked you right there. That is actually Tupac Shakur. That's not the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Uh, In the scripture, it says, judge not lest you be judged, okay? But I'm just checking, making sure you're listening to me, okay? Come on, 915 service. That's funny. I don't care who you are. All right. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But but the Sermon on the Mount has all of these memorable phrases that have been used, and it's changed the culture of the world. Like, you know, in the U.K., they look back, in Britain, they look back to the Magna Carta. And in the United States, we look back to the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution. But in the kingdom of God, listen to me, the kingdom of God, the essence and the ethic of the kingdom of God, we look to the Sermon on the Mount. It is, it is the, the, the declaration and the words of our Lord that really uphold the ethics, the moral compass, the kind of kingdom, and the kind of people that he is going to, again, save and create in the earth. Uh, if, if you've been here with us the last couple of weeks, we've been able to talk about this, but the, the very first week, we, we really got around this, and it undergirds. One of the ways we've got to be able to connect each one of these weeks together is we've got to get at the message below the message. And the message below the message is this. I want you to write it down. It's that repentance is the key to the kingdom of heaven. All right? This is the message that undergirds all of this. You say, well, where where is that found? It was actually right before the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says this. It says, from that time... Jesus began to preach, and he was saying, what's he saying, in New Spring Church? He was saying a word. What's he say? He says the word, repent, repent. He says, repent, why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or if you want to translate it that another way, it says, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so the undergirding message of this entire text is that we're called to repent. And we've been talking about this word repent, and depending on your upbringing, you might have all kind of connotation here around the word repent, but the word repent really means to get God's view on the matter. So the word repent is to, we, we don't want our view, I don't want my parents' view, I don't want my culture's view. What's gonna be required as we read this Sermon on the Mount, as we hear it, is is we're gonna, we're gonna be challenged. It's gonna cause us to squirm a little bit because it's gonna leave nobody that is not going to be impacted by the truth shared here, but we're going to have to constantly, cyclically, come back to this idea of repentance. And I told you guys the very first week as we introduced this, our teaching team's job and one of our goals and aims during this series is we want to make repentance famous again. We want to make spaces where repentance can be done and accomplished, and we actually want to try to shorten the frequency of how often we come to this idea of getting God's, view on a matter. And so that's the undergirding of this. And uh, last week, uh, week two, uh, Meredith Knox did a fantastic job of walking us through the Beatitudes. How many of y'all enjoyed Meredith last week? Wasn't that fantastic? And talking about the, the, the realigning of what the blessed life looks like, heaven's view on the matter says that the blessed life looks very different than the way the world looks at blessed. And week three here today, what we have is we have Jesus giving us what our, again, our aim and our goal is. Our aim and our goal is. Um, And so here's point number two. I want want you to write this down. Point number two is simply this. The kingdom life, our life, is a life that is distinct. It is a distinct life. It's a distinct life. And so Jesus, as he says, you are going to be salt. You are going to be light. This is two elements that were ultra distinct. So let me, let me just break these things down for a moment. So first of all, you need to know that it cannot mean to us today in 2022 what it did not mean to the first audience back then. That's just a really simple practice of great interpretation of Scripture. So if you're reading the Bible and you're, you know, having your quiet time in the morning or you're in a sermon like this, it needs to mean to us first and primarily today what it meant to the first hearers. Otherwise, we can get ourselves all kinds of ways messed up and put things out of context, right? Uh, probably the most taken out of context verse in all of the scriptures is Philippians 4.13. Anybody remember what Philippians 4.13 says? Right? I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Okay, anyway, um, that, we don't wanna do that. We wanna actually allow it to mean to us today what it meant to them. And when Jesus was sharing the Sermon on the Mount, he chose two distinct elements that every home would have had in their house. He's trying right here to make sure that people understand that salt and light are the kinds of the kinds of examples that we as Christians are supposed to be in the world. That the people of the kingdom of God, the people that would follow Jesus and his way, the people that would say, You are my king, they would be distinct. Distinct like salt and distinct like light. Let's talk about salt for a minute. Anybody love salt? Show of hands. Where are we at? Salt people? Come on, Morton's folks. Uh, maybe you like your kosher salt, your sea salt, your fine grain salt. Uh, we got to celebrate in my house over the weekend uh, a birthday in our home. It was my wife's mother's birthday. And uh, so we went all out, got the red meat out, got my fine, coarse kosher salt. And I put that salt all over those steak, y'all. And uh, it's so good. Before I put anything else on it, I put that salt on it, let it dry it out, let it sit out, get to room temperature. I don't know how you like to cook your steak, but I've gotten to where I do mine with a, a little reverse sear. You'll have to look it up on YouTube, okay? It'll teach you how to do it. Reverse sear my steak. We we enjoyed our steak, but the reason that we put salt on Meat especially, is a couple of reasons. One, it, salt actually brings the flavor out of the steak. That salt is a necessity to taste all the other flavors. And if you've watched any of these things on Netflix, my kids love to watch like the Kid Chefs shows. Any of y'all got Kid chef show watchers at your house? My kids love to watch it. And, and, you know, if you watch Gordon Ramsay back in the day, one of the things that if you ever got on Gordon Ramsay's bad side, uh, how, how would you immediately get there? You didn't put salt on the food. Right, he'd taste that and i spit it out and Gordon Ramsay would say, you forgot the most, you did all of this other skill but you forgot the most basic of cooking technique. You gotta put salt on your food. So when Jesus is saying that you are salt, he was was telling these people that one of the reasons that salt is such a big deal is because salt does a couple things. One, it helps to bring the flavor out. But the primary thing, and I want you to write this word down that salt did back 2,000 years ago, They didn't have refrigerators, y'all. They didn't have any way to keep meat from spoiling, so they would put salt all over their their lamb shanks and their big old pieces of of, uh, red meat, maybe that big old cow. uh, Not the Jewish guys, but the guys across the lake. They might get a big old pork shoulder, and they might put that thing all salted down and get ready to put it on the Traeger or the Rectex smoker. Somebody loves a tailgate, amen? All right, they'd salt it down. Why? Why, why, why do we salt, what salt, salt? Why do we salt down meat? Listen to me. Because it fights decay. That's what salt does. It fights decay. It slows down the process of decay. And so what is Jesus saying to the people of the kingdom? He's saying the people of the kingdom are going to be distinct. They're going to be distinct in their communities. And because they're there, they, like salt, are going to slow down the decay of the communities they're in. They, like salt, are going to bring forward all the flavors of the community that they're in. Because kingdom people are going to be in locations, they're actually going to be able to bring the flavors and the gifts to bear of all the people in the community that they're in. Salt is who you and I are called to be as people of God. We're called to be salt. That's the first distinct thing. Now, the second distinct thing was what? Salt and salt. Light, you with me? Okay, light. All right, sing it if you know it. This little light of mine. Come on, Anderson. I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. Come on, Jason. I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. Okay, we got a bunch of church people up in here. Okay, hi. Bunch of church people. Listen, we all know that song because we grew up singing it in church and it comes right here from this passage of scripture. We're called to be light. We're called to shine. We're called not to hide it under a bushel. So not only did Jesus say you're gonna be salt, distinct, but he said you're called to be light. You're called to shine. Listen, I know the tap your neighbor thing gets overused, but this one's good, y'all. You need to tap your neighbor and tell them you're called to shine. Go ahead, tap your neighbor. Tell them you're called to shine. Tell your spouse, you're called to shine, honey, I love you. You're looking shiny today. Somebody's got Moana in their head already. Shiny. Okay, sorry. All right. Too many songs all at once. We're called to shine. So Jesus not only says to this people, you're called to be salt, but he he tells them you're called to like a lamp in a home. Every housewife there would have known what that is. Every, every parent would have known what that is because they didn't have electricity to flip on. They, they had to have oil in their lamps. And when the sun set over in first century Palestine, if you didn't have a lamp, if you didn't have light, you couldn't see. You couldn't do anything in your home. You couldn't do anything in your town. And so what Jesus is saying to this kingdom people is like a lamp in your home, walking around after dark, like a lamp in your home so you can see to live by it, kingdom people are called to, Shine. Every single one of us are called to shine. We're called to shine. Now, let me just pick a fight right here. You guys okay if I pick a fight? I don't know if there's any eights in the audience out there, Enneagram eights. I'm an eight. I like to pick a fight, okay? Everything's good. I can have a fight, and we can go out and get lunch afterwards, but I just can't miss the opportunity. Here's the fight I want to pick. I want to pick a fight on the lie that you can be a Christian and keep it to yourself. Oh, Jesus, he doesn't pick the fight. We cannot, listen to me church, we cannot be kingdom people and it not show in our homes, in our jobs, in our schools, in our friendships, and in our workplaces. Amen? We, we cannot. Jesus said that the, the kind of people that I'm inviting to be the part of this kingdom, they're not going to be able to be secret agent Christians. You can't be a Christian and be covert about it. You can't be a Christian and keep your faith smuggled. Hidden, silenced, not for long. You might be able to do it for a little season. But over time, that nature of being a person that's going to shine, it's going to come out. It's going to be on display. You're going to show your coworkers. You're going to show your your cul-de-sac people. You're going to show the people in your apartment complex and in your dorm room. You are going to shine. And I want to look straight into the camera in the eyes of my millennial and Gen Z brothers and sisters. And see, this is crazy because I, I just, maybe you have too. You've seen this, but there's some data right now, all kinds of data. It doesn't matter if you lean into Barna or you lean into any kind of data that says that this generation, your generation, my generation, 40 and under, that we think that there is definitively a higher power in the universe, that we think that God exists, and simultaneously we think that we should not tell other people about that. That's the general belief of, of millennials and Gen Z, and I just I just want us to lean in, not to the preacher's words. But let's lean into the words of King Jesus. And King Jesus says that, no, no, no. You're going to be the kind of people that shine. You're going to be the kind of people that your life is going to give a message. Your, your actions are going to show you're not going to be able to keep it secret. That faith is not meant to be a private endeavor where nobody knows about it. But instead, we've got to remind ourselves and stir ourselves up that we are called to allow people to see our good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. And so I just want to say, you're called to shine. Now, the reason that I think, let me, let me translate for a moment for my Booner, Booners, my boomers and my Gen Xers in the room. You're, you're probably out there like, yeah, tell them, preacher. You tell those Gen Z people. Let me, let me defend them for a moment, okay? All right, let me defend them for a moment. One of the things that, that they also see in all of the data here is the Gen Z and the millennials, what they don't want to be above all else is a hypocrite. And what they don't want to be is a person who says that they're a Christ follower, but whose lives completely tell a different story. And so one of the reasons that they want to be quiet about things is they have seen moms and dads, politicians, aunts, uncles, pastors, and folks that go to church every weekend say that they love Jesus Christ, but their lives live completely different. The way that they handle people on social media. The way that they talk to people in their neighborhood. the way, And so one of the reasons that they've, 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 got, a, they've got this idea, I'm going to be quiet about this, is because they do not want to be hypocritical. And so if you are 40 or up, I just want to say to you, I want you to really, really, listen, don't just, don't just be someone who says Jesus with your mouth, but we've got to be a people that live Jesus all the time. That's why we say our vision statement here in New Spring Church is we want to see everyone everywhere in what? An everyday relationship with Jesus, living an integrous life so that the lips that we speak with and the heart that beats in our chest are one and the same. We don't want to have lips that preach Jesus and a heart far from him. And so we are called, listen to me, we're called to live distinct lives, salt and light lives, but we're called to do both, live it and to also speak it. Now, let me just um, tell you, okay, how, how? Now, If you want to write some notes down, this is a great place, okay? I'm gonna tell you how. There's three no's, three no's, three things we gotta say no to, and two things to say yes to. Five quick points. If you want to live this kingdom life, this salt and life life, then we've got to say no, listen to me, no to copy in the culture around us. No to copy. Amen. All these things are gonna be seized, by the way. No to copy We can't just be imitators of the culture around us. It means in our schools, in our homes, and in the way we handle our lives, our finances, our time, we cannot just go with the flow. Matter of fact, Proverbs says, there's a way that seems right to man, but that way ends in, anybody know it? That way ends in death, okay. So we've we've gotta not just copy culture. Number two thing we've gotta say no to, okay? We cannot just settle, listen to me, we cannot just settle for critiquing culture either. There's a lot of this in the church. And I'm not saying the culture doesn't need to be critiqued, but we've got to do more than just critique culture. It does not, I mean, we've got to stop yelling at culture for acting like the culture that we live in. Is anybody living in heaven right now? Anybody there? No, we're not there. So we've got to recognize that we live in a, in a fallen world. The Bible calls it Babylon. And so it does not do any good to just simply scream at the culture for being lost. We can't scream at lost people for acting lost. That's like screaming at my dog for barking, right? We can't scream at them for this. So we don't want to just critique culture, okay? The third thing that we're not going to do, we're not going to copy, we're not going to critique, and we're not just going to consume the culture either. We're not just going to sit back and do nothing and just consume culture, consume culture, the music, the, 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 the videos, the Netflix. We're not just going to be consumers of culture, the fashion, the ideologies. We're going to say no to that if we're going to be distinct. No copying, no critiquing, no consuming And here's the two things we're going to say yes to, all right? Two things we're going to say yes to. Number one, we're going to say yes to creating. One of the most powerful ways to live a distinct, salt and light life is we've got to be creators. And I think the church has to catch this revelation again. Some of the most powerful things over the last 2,000 years that have been influential are when the church, like the God who made them in His image, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in the beginning, God created. Six days of creation. I want you to know, you, when you and I are creative, when we are creating, we start changing culture. We start, we start being distinct in the culture. And so maybe... that's a rhythm at your home. You're creating a new rhythm, a life-giving rhythm. Maybe you're creating at work. Maybe you're creating architecture in your skyline. How many of y'all saw CNN named Greenville, South Carolina, one of the top five places to go to in the fall? It was like all over the world. It was like this place in Europe and this place in Asia and this place in South America and then right here in old South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina. Well, that's because somebody got together with a team and they They created something that people want to come to. They created a downtown. They laid out the city plan and all kinds of other metroplexes all over the world. At 5 o'clock, you know what everybody in the city does? They run to the suburbs. But you know what everybody in Greenville, South Carolina does? They run downtown, right? Uh, It doesn't matter if you're anywhere in the upstate. You go to Greenville for dinner. You go to Greenville for a street festival. You go to Greenville. You know why? Because someone created something worth visiting. You know, three years previous to that, there's a city down on the lower part of the state, Charleston, South Carolina, that's been named the most, the, the most visited city in North America, three years running. You know why? Because restauranteurs and folks have created great foodies and great community and beautiful bridges. Creativity is a powerful thing. And if we're going to be distinct, if we're going to be salt and light, we've got to embrace creating. The second thing we're going to embrace not just creating, is we've got to embrace cultivating. Everybody say cultivating. One, two, three, cultivating. Cultivating. We've got to not just think we're going to snap our fingers and it's going to change. We've got to farm it. We've got to be gardeners. We've got to cultivate good things in our homes, in our marriages, in our kids, in our grandkids, in our communities. We've got to be those that create and those that cultivate. I want to uh, highlight our Powdersville campus here for a moment. And I didn't talk to them about this, but, but I, I know they'd be okay with this. I, I, when I was praying through this, I was thinking about who have I seen that is, who has done this well? And there's a family at our Powdersville campus, the Bordeaux family, Chip and his wife, Elizabeth. And one of the things that they saw a couple of years ago was this huge gap when it came to fostering and adopting. And they, they decided they were gonna be people that create and people that cultivate and not just critique the culture. Oh, gosh, we're going to hell. It's all going to burn, you know. They're not just going to settle for that kind of negative rhetoric. And they they said, we're going to be a part of the solution. And so they, they, they got together with others and began to build and build. And now, do you guys know that the largest adoption agency, last I knew, the largest adoption agency in the state of South Carolina was created and cultivated By some folks that follow Jesus right here at New Spring Church. It's called Quiver Full of Arrows. Out of our Powdersville campus. They started a a place so that kids that needed homes could find homes. So that parents that wanted families could find children. And they're doing it with a Christian ethic. With a, a Sermon on the Mount kingdom ethic. And it's the largest adoption agency in the state of South Carolina. And it's right here in your church, New Spring Church. That's good news. They're creating and they're cultivating. And so what I want to inspire you to, what Jesus, I believe, wanted to inspire those people to 2,000 years ago, is don't just be people that go to church copying and consuming and critiquing culture, but be the kind of people that shine light, that are salt and bring out the flavor of the world around us as we create and cultivate just like our God did in the garden, and just like our God will do in us as we point forward to the garden city of the new Jerusalem. That's the other thing I want to finish with here, is that Jesus said to those people that day on the Sermon on the Mount, as you do this, you're not going to do it as individuals, you're actually going to come together and you're going to be an entire city. A city that is seen. A city that shines bright in the world that you're in. As you create and cultivate, whether you're a college student or whether you're on your second career, As you create and cultivate and come together with the other believers in the world around you, you're going to shine light so that others can see in this dark world. You're going to preserve and slow down and fight the decay of the world we live in. And you're going to bring out flavors that the world has yet to experience because you are doing the work of being salt and light. So I want to inspire you. Okay, let me ask you something. What would that look like for you? How does that begin to happen in your life? How, how do you be salt this week? How can you shine light this week in your, in your gym or in your school or in your job? What does that look like for you in your home? or What does that look like for you going up and down the interstate or up and down the road or typing out the email? What does it look like for you? And while you're thinking about that, I want to give you point number three. Point number three and final today is simply this. Point number three and final is that the kingdom life is a life of everyday repentance, everyday repentance. One of the things that I've been struck by, and we're gonna keep coming back to this word, repent, because we've gotta get God's view on the matter, is that we're gonna be forced to rethink some things. And Jesus, he preached this sermon on the mountain, he lived this beautiful, perfect life, he died on the cross for our sins, he resurrected in power, and then he sent his spirit into his church But this this idea of repentance was not just something Jesus preached about in Matthew 4. It was something that the early church got a hold of. And they grabbed a hold of it. And they utilized it every single day. All the heavy hitters in the New Testament actually talk about this word repentance. I'm going to show you. Paul would write to the church in Rome about repentance, and he would say this word in Romans 2, verse 4. He says, hey, church in Rome, or do you presume on the riches of the kindness and the forbearance of the Lord, his patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to what, New Spring Church, is meant to lead you to repentance. Leave that text up for a moment. When Paul would write to the church in Rome, he's saying that, listen, God's kind, he's got more mercy and grace than we have sinned but his love and kindness is meant to lead us to rethink, to gain heaven's view on the matter, and it's meant to lead us to repentance. So Paul got the message of repentance. Not just Paul, but another heavy hitter, Peter got the message of repentance too. He wrote about it in his letter to the church. He says this, he says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but he's patient toward you. The Lord doesn't want anyone to perish. Look at that. Some of you have wondered if God loves you or if you've sinned or gone too far. Look at this text. It says that the Lord is, He's not wishing that anyone should perish, but what? But that all should, church, all should reach repentance. He wants all to reach repentance. So we've got Paul, we've got Peter. How about John, another apostle in the New Testament? He wrote about it as well in Revelation multiple times, but here's what he says in Revelation 7, or or Revelation 3, verse 19. He says this, Those whom I love, This is God talking and John talking on his behalf. I reprove and I discipline, so I want you to be zealous and repent, John writes. Multiple times he writes to the church that we've got to get heaven's view on the matter, that we need zeal towards repentance. Now, you might be saying, Pastor Brad, why are you making such a big deal about this? I'm making such a big deal about this because we are fighting through this series, doing so much church and experiencing so little change, amen? We're sick of a world that has so much church, so many Sunday gatherings, so many YouTube, so many TikTok Christians, so many Instagrams, so many podcasts, so much church, so much worship music, so much church. All of those are good things, by the way, but experiences so little change. And the gap between so much church and so little change is our rich understanding of this word, repentance. We've got to get a zeal towards it. We've gotta pursue it. We gotta go after it. And long before the world's gonna go after it, we as Christ followers have to go after it. I don't know if you've ever leaned into revival history, but man, anybody want a revival? Anybody ever desired revival in their life at any point? Show of hands. Yeah, yeah, all over. Prayed for revival? Uh, Gone to a revival service? Well, one of the things that I've read about revival that has been rocking me is revival doesn't start when lost people get saved. Revival starts when Christians repent. Revival begins when Christians begin to walk in their true identity. When they go after repentance, when they recognize that it's God's kindness that leads us there, God doesn't want any of us to perish, so let's go after it. Let's be zealous As we pursue it, and here's the last reason that I want us to make sure that we're doing this. And let me just slow down right here and raise my hand. This next passage puts a chill in my spine. But it's in the book of Hebrews. It's in the New Testament. And it says this, the the preacher of Hebrews, we don't know who it is, but somebody wrote down the sermon. Some people think it's Paul. Other people think it's one of the other gospel writers. Um, They wrote down the sermon, but this preacher was talking about Esau, Esau, remember, he, he traded his birthright for a bowl of stew and Jacob got it. And then Esau had regret. And look what it says about repentance. It says this in Hebrews 12, 17. It says, For you know that afterward, after he had traded for a bowl of stew, when he desired to inherit the blessing. Now just pause, put a button in that. Have you ever made a mistake and as soon as you made the mistake, you're like, Man, I wish I hadn't done that. Oh, man, I wish I hadn't made that. I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't done that. That was what happened to Esau. He, he wished that he hadn't traded his birthright for a bowl of stew. He wanted to inherit the blessing. But it says this. It says that he was rejected. I want you to read these words. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So this is a warning, 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 warning. Red lights. We see in the New Testament that our God doesn't want any of us to perish and that he puts repentance, changing our mind, getting heaven's view on the matter. He puts it in front of us. But we also see in the New Testament that there comes a time when he'll move repentance off the table. Now, I don't know what you believe, but I want you to know that's a well-rounded theology. There's gotta be room for both of those because they're both in the New Testament. They're not at odds. They're a beautiful tension. And so as you have ever felt the Holy Spirit prompt you to make a change, to, to do something different, to trade your view for something for heaven's view of the matter, I want you to know that repentance is a gift and that's what we need to lean into week after week after week. And we have been doing that here over the last several weeks at our church by closing our services in a time of coming to the communion table. And coming to the Lord and saying, God, I want to take you in, and I want your view on the matter. I want to be salt, and I want to be light, and that means I've got to change some things. So, on all of our campuses, would you mind standing to your feet? And if you are one of our folks that's going to help in these ministry stations, would you go ahead and come? If you're going to help serve communion, or you're going to be um, serving in the, in the prayer area, come on, all of our volunteer teams are going to move. And let me just tell you what we've been doing. We've, we've got five ways to respond over the next few moments. If you're a Christ follower, I want to invite you to come and receive communion again. Come and be reminded, whatever you've done this week, whatever you've gone through, maybe even as I was talking and you think about being salt and light in your workplace or in your family, come and receive Jesus Christ again. His body broken for you, his blood poured out for you. Let him remind you of who you are in him. And take in strength back to your seat, take communion and be encouraged as you sing. Maybe today you're here and you're like, pastor, I've never, I've never received forgiveness for sin. I've never asked Jesus to save me. I've never repented for the forgiveness of sin. Listen, 100% of us have to do that. We've all been born sinners. The Bible says that because of our sinfulness that we are separated from God, we don't have a relationship with him, but Christ came, died on the cross that so we might have a relationship with him. And there's a cross in your room. And so today, if in just a moment, you want to give your life to Jesus, you want to come to the cross, then literally get out of your row, come down to the cross, and just put your name on the cross and say, Jesus, I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. I want to have peace in my soul, and I want to live forever. I want you to know that's on offer today. We've literally seen dozens of folks over the last couple of weeks do this. And church, I want to celebrate something with you. Since our student camp just a few weeks ago, we've seen nearly 100 students across the state of South Carolina give their lives to Christ over the last several weeks. Isn't that awesome? Coming to Jesus. So the the cross is here. In addition to that, if you've been carrying a burden, I want you to know you don't have to carry it alone. Come and lay that burden down in prayer. Come to the prayer tables and write down your prayer request. We've seen hundreds of prayer requests come in over the last several weeks. We've been able to pray with you and for you. And I want you to know today you can do that again. Maybe you need to pray for a loved one. Maybe you need to pray for a prodigal. Maybe you need to pray for a financial breakthrough at work or whatever. Come and and invite your church family to pray with you. Also, if you want to, again... Um, sing. You can stay right there in your seats and let's worship. If you if you want to partner with and bring your gifts, you can bring your tithes and offerings in the give boxes. But I just want to say clearly again, we want to see 100% of us participate in this next few moments. We're going to create space for that on all of our campuses. I'm going to pray the worship teams are going to come and let's respond. Because listen, remember the, the encouragement of Jesus. He gets to the end of this sermon and he says, those that just hear the words of mine and go home and don't do it, They're going to build their houses on sand. But the people that hear these words of mine and begin to put it in action, they're going to put their house, their life on a rock. They're going to live an unshakable life. And I want you to know that the unshakable life starts right now with how you respond to this next few moments. So, Father God, we come to you. We've heard you encourage us to be salt and light. Lord, that we are called to be people that preserve and fight the decay in our worlds, in our communities. We're called to be people that shine bright. And so God, forgive us, forgive us, Lord, all of us when we just, we keep our our Christianity to ourselves. Show us how we can be creators and cultivators in our jobs and in our homes, in our college majors and in our relationships. And Lord, as we come to you, we thank you that there's grace. We thank you that there's mercy, that there's forgiveness again to come and lay down all that is busted and broken in us and take up all that is righteous and good in you. So bless us now as we respond. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Won't you come and receive?